and the audience, the East Boys audience, all of a sudden just called them out and they labeled them as a sellout, which is like the number one thing you do not want to be called. Uh, and they started memeing Mercedes. And this was, you know, Mercedes big deal with, with a big company in eSports. Uh, and all of a sudden it was going very, very south. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Pundit Explains sponsorship series. I'm Andy Marston and today, as well as being joined by my co-host Murray Barnett, I'm also joined by Craig Santikia, founder of Wolfpad Gaming and former partnerships director at Fnatic. Craig is hopefully going to provide us with a little bit more insight into the sponsorship industry within esports specifically. And uh, yeah, we'll get straight into the conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Craig, it's great to have you on the on the podcast. Um, if we jump straight into it, um, you recently founded Wolfpad Gaming. What what inspired you to to set out on your own? Yeah, well, um, thanks for thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's my first ever podcast, so do bear with me if uh, you have to hold my hand a little bit. But um, yeah, what inspired Wolfpad Gaming? So I was um, partner development director at Fnatic, which is one of the world's leading esports performance brands. I was there for three and a half years. And uh, basically, I was getting a lot of brands, a lot of agencies, and a lot of rights holders from traditional sport coming to me and saying, you know, we, we want to get into gaming and esports, we really don't know how, uh, uh, can you help help us basically? And off that, I would then devise um, the, the esports strategies for a lot of brands, um, helping with agencies communicate to their clients about gaming and esports, and helping some of the biggest football clubs, for example, in the world in their uh, in their journey uh, into esports and whether it was a joint venture their own team and things like this so um as i was doing this after a, a few years i was like well you know why don't i uh, cut the middleman out i suppose and uh, off the back of that out came Wolfpack gaming so yeah so you mentioned working with uh, with a number of of brands during your time at fanatic and there seems to be a real variety in the in the brands that are on the fanatic portfolio so it goes from from brands like Gucci to brands like Lavazza. Um, how did you approach working with such different um, brands that probably have different ideas of what success looks like within a partnership? Um, at Fnatic, you know, I took great pride in our approach and our strategy overall, where we wanted to make Fnatic easier to buy, right? And we were quite sophisticated in the data that we used, um, the proposition that we had, the, the packages that we could offer so we could take a brand partner on a journey. So, um, you know, work with some pretty big brands uh, like BMW and Gucci and Lovato that you've talked about. Um, and for a lot of different brands coming into the space, uh, I would say um, they're all on different levels of their education cycle. So, you know, some brands come in and go, you know, I've had uh, my boss or boss's boss tell me I need to be in this space and I don't know how to approach it. Um, I, I'm swamped with ABC. Uh, we, you know, it, it, usually the message goes down and down the chain and a, 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 typically a junior person puts their hand up and goes, I'm a gamer. And all of a sudden they've got to devise a whole strategy and maybe sometimes that that is not the most uh, effective or efficient route forward. So 
um, they then basically come to me and say, like, you know, can you help us devise what our strategy should be? So off the back of that, um, you know, with the likes of Lavazza, it was about um, it was about kind of almost like reinvigorating the brand and, and making it a uh, making like a big splash in esports because it was their first time. Uh, so, for example, we had like this e intro to esports package that we labelled it, which is a bit cheesy, but um, but basically it was showing them the partner journey, right? So there's like three steps. Step one would be intro to esports. Step two would be your campaign, and then eventually a global partnership. So Levats are going through that journey with Fnatic as we speak. Uh, and for them, we just wanted to do something really cool um, and make a big splash. So for them, it was more of a, we've got a challenge that young people uh, are not drinking coffee as much. And we want to reinvigorate the brand in terms of it seeing as quite old and traditional. Uh, and we want to go into esports. So we put together the Icons of Italy uh, map inside of Fortnite where um, they were activated, both their brand and product. Um, you know, in, in Italy, there's many icons, whether it's Ferrari or the Coliseum or, you know, the football clubs uh, where, or Lavazza themselves. So what we did is we put Lavazza's HQ in there, the Coliseum, all these types of things uh, inside of their own customized map um, inside of Fortnite. And we created challenges that helped push and promote the uh, the, the um the coffee pods um, that they were looking to push, uh, and also the espresso machines were inside the game and things like this, so they could link it to not just a brand play, but also sales and measure that um, potentially further down the line. Uh, then we got one of the biggest influencers in Italy to help push this as well, um, achieve 27 minutes uh, engagement uh, per player when they were playing the map, which is huge. Uh, we got just over 3 million uh, impressions on social media within three days. Uh, we got 20,000 people playing the map within um, the first 24 hours, 48 hours. So, yeah, it was a big success. Yeah, so you, you've worked with, uh, with the likes of Lavazza, who obviously maybe were new to gaming, but weren't new to sponsorship as such, as in they've, they've done a lot of partnerships outside sport. Then you've also worked with um, brands like Gucci that maybe yeah. aren't as traditional in terms of their involvement in sponsorship. So... So how did that how did that differ? Yeah, um, so Gucci was a completely different approach. Um, I suppose in esports you could kind of say the the kind of the ingredients for success um, uh, you could cheesily label it, but um, is by first of all asking yourself, you know, how am I going to add value to the end user, right? How how does my product, how does my service? Um, how does it enhance the user's experience in some way, shape or form? So um, with that, we worked alongside one of Gucci's agencies um, called Geek. And we, um, we're, along with Gucci, we, we managed to help answer that question. Um, and off the back of that, we created the Fnatic Dive Watch. Um, in League of Legends, there, is, um, there, there are towers, basically, that you can dive off. So it's, it, there is a link there, and that created the, the authenticity angle. And then what we wanted to do was merge the, um, the gaming world uh, with the fashion world, because um, fashion is truly innovating at the moment. Um, Gucci have gone on to do the Gucci Garden inside of Roblox and into the metaverse, which I suppose we can talk about later. Um, and, and and this was the first of its kind. So our League of Legends roster went over to Milan. Uh, they were the front row VIP guests within Milan Fashion Week. 
Um, they met some of the most influential people in Gucci and Fashion Full Stop. And this was the, the kind of the merging of the two worlds. So it was a very, very different objective, a very, very different brief to somebody like Lavazza. And Lavazza was very, very different to BMW, um, which was a completely different objective again. So, um, you know, the, the point of this, I suppose, is to say it depends on where the brand is on their education cycle in, in the space. Um, whether they've asked the right questions about what they're trying to achieve and how they're adding value and then building a, a, a smart strategy based around that and giving them the right assets and the right IP in order to bring that to life and tell the story that they want to tell about their brand or product. Um, you're talking mm -hmm. about how they've embraced sort of gaming in the metaverse. And I think yesterday Louis Vuitton launched a mobile game, um, which also included uh, digital collectibles as well. But why do you think it is that that fashion is um, is an industry that sort of really embraced the sort of gaming and metaverse? Um, I think fashion has been forced to innovate due to COVID. Um, obviously, their markets, uh, especially China, that prop them up a lot, uh, have disappeared overnight. And as a consequence of that, if we're going to be living in a lockdown world for the next couple of years, then that's obviously going to impact footfall and all sorts of various different things. Um, so I think they were forced to innovate. And um, luckily, there was, you know, already one or two things going on within the space. Um, you know, I do truly envisage it's pretty much already happening anyway, um, where catwalks will be online. And maybe you'll watch, you know, Milan Fashion Week via Twitch instead of, you know, whatever it is, whatever platform it is. And you can have digital avatars that maybe might even be more popular than real life models. Um, and, uh, and and the fashion industry as a consequence of that has managed to, to really innovate in a cool way. So, um, you know, Gucci have created the Gucci Garden inside of Roblox, for example, which was a huge success on, on their side, uh, monetized the heck out of it. Um, they managed to create a truly unique digital experience for for um, for the users, and they provided an added value. So you could go inside the Gucci Garden, and you could directly purchase um, NFTs and digital items. Um, you know, if you wanted to go in there and buy a Gucci belt, you could go in there and buy a Gucci belt, and and that's what uh, gaming and the metaverse, the buzzword that's around at the moment, the metaverse yeah. is all about, which is kind of bringing the physical world inside of the digital world and creating customized experiences via games that um, that, that are truly unique. So, you know, I'm co-founder of, of Carter and that's that's what we do. We, we make customized, well, we put brands inside of games and we create customized experiences for users um, with brands, products and, um, and uh, products and their brand themselves integrated inside of it. So you could do it inside of Roblox or Fortnite, um, Counter-Strike, for example. And, and this is truly going to be the future. Um, and it's great to see that the, the fashion world has, um, has taken the ball by the horns and, and really gone with it. Um, you know, we're going to see that games are not going to be games anymore. They're going to become social platforms. And you'll go inside of a game to socialize with your friends, right? One of the most played games in Roblox is school, <laughs> like, you know? Um, so it's, it, it's a crazy new world, but it's, it's a really exciting one that I think we should, we should all embrace. And for brands, it's great because all of a sudden you could be direct to, direct to consumer uh, and you can have a measurable digital asset inside of a game that you can monetize in many different ways. So that I think is really exciting.
So is it is it fair to say, is it perhaps a bit of a misnomer to call it esports because it's it seems to me that it's much more about sort of lifestyle and culture in in general and perhaps as an industry by calling it esports it, it it makes it makes us lazy about thinking about it as a parallel to to let's call it physical sports or, or real world sports and that's probably the wrong analogy it's much closer to a to a lifestyle and a culture. Yeah, I think, um, look, so, so the, I suppose to debunk a few things, like um, esports is a very small number uh, within gaming, right? So there's 2.7 billion games on the planet, something like that. Um, and uh, there's, in terms of esports fans or enthusiasts, um, there's like 350 million, I think it is the latest numbers. So it's a niche, like it's, it's quite a small, well, I say small, but it's, it's a niche within gaming. Um, gaming it doesn't necessarily have to be um well it doesn't have to be professional right so me and you could play a game of fifa and it would be fun and competitive but we could by no means call ourselves professionals where in esports you would play fifa but you'd be training 14 hours a day six days a week paid a huge salary and be competing in tournaments all around the world and you could definitely call yourself a pro and that's when you live in the meta right um when you when it all gets very technical um but gaming is is more focused around lifestyle and culture it's you know uh, call me old school but um you know back when i was a kid uh it would be you know friday night tv right that was that was your your lifestyle then you would get maybe a takeaway and it would be the family sitting around the tv watching x factor or whatever it is right and and now instead it's it, it's gaming um you know kids gen z in particular are gaming eight hours a day sometimes uh, and that's a lifestyle that's a culture and that's and brands always want to be inside of culture right they want to be a part of it so there is that kind of paradigm shift going on at the moment um, and there is probably a bit more education to do around the difference between gaming and esports, and when it is when it is esports and when it is gaming. Uh, and I think a lot of people are learning that as we go along, uh, which is good. So you know, we, again, going back to the Lavazza example, um, they they don't see themselves as a coffee brand; they're a lifestyle brand, right? So coffee, coffee is just a part of the routine. So for a brand themselves, how do you integrate your product inside of the game of routine? And that's a really key question to ask yourself. Uh, and and then you can usually find good success there. So yeah, we're seeing this really cool shift going on at the moment. And um, the, the scale that you can see is just unprecedented. Um, you, you genuinely can't get it anywhere else. Great. When we were prepping for this call, you talked a lot about authenticity for brands inside sponsorship and you get you talked us through the great example of mercedes and perhaps you could just uh, elaborate on that in terms of you know that, that that whole journey from sort of zero to hero if you like yeah so um mercedes is a great example of this kind of um traditional mindset approach that a lot of people come into esports with that can sometimes cause some challenges so um just before i go into it i'll give a bit more context but so for example you you would in cricket you would communicate a message to a cricket fan i would imagine quite differently to a football fan there might be a bit of a crossover there but the messaging and how you communicate is going to be quite different right as just as it's going to be different to a rugby fan and so on and so forth in gaming and esports or rather esports in general um 
that that same principle applies. So a Counter-Strike fan is going to be very different in terms of how you communicate to a League of Legends fan. There'll be minimal crossover, but it's going to be different. So a lot of brands can sometimes come in with this traditional mindset and be like, well, esports is one thing and all the games are the same things. We need to communicate the way we do in traditional the same way. And what happened with Mercedes is they did, um, they, they were pushing very, very hard, the Mercedes A-Class, I think it was. And it was like a, a very... A typical Mercedes advert that was uh, broadcast on an ESL, I think it was, event or something like this. And basically, it was a few years ago now. But um, And basically, the ad was essentially saying, uh, Mercedes A-Benz is, is, is amazing, it's class, go and buy it, right? And that message was just being drilled. And the audience, these boys' audience, all of a sudden just called them out and they labeled them as a sellout, which is like the number one thing you do not want to be called. Uh, and they started memeing Mercedes. And this was, you know, Mercedes' big deal with, with a big company in esports. Uh, and all of a sudden it was going very, very south. Um, so luckily for Mercedes, internally um, within one of their teams, they had somebody who really understood what the audience was doing and how to actually counteract this. So what they um, what they took a very brave decision and they decided to embrace the meme culture that was taking place and turn it into a positive. So they actually started then taking the mickey out of themselves um, and creating a meme out of it. And all of a sudden, the, the um, sentiment went from very, very negative to incredibly positive. And since then, Mercedes has grown on to be one of the most loved and recognized brands within esports. Um, and and that was that was a fantastic example of how you shouldn't approach this with that traditional mindset. But if you do, there are ways of, of countering it, right? Um, but it does take a lot of um, knowledge and expertise and bravery, really, to be honest, internally within the brand to help, to, um, to help switch around that conversation. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what you guys edit and what we put together. Yeah, hopefully we don't make you sound too bad. <laughs> Andy, that was a great conversation with Craig. It's an amazing subject and I feel like I know it much better. I had no idea that inside the sort of sponsorship world of gaming that it was quite so advanced. Yeah, having worked at um, a few rights holders yourself, Murray, how, how does that translate to sort of your experience within or your experience dealing with esports um, when when at those rights holders. So I, I know Formula One obviously had uh, some involvement in in esports when you were there. At Formula One, we made all the mistakes that Craig talked about in terms of treating esports as very similar to how we would treat the sort of physical races. And I think we got smarter over time as we as we talked to more and more brands. And that whole authenticity piece is, is really key. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, I wasn't a, a gamer, nor would I say I am a gamer. And I was trying to sort of fit my knowledge of the physical sponsorship world into into e-gaming and, you know, realized that it actually was very, very different. And I think that that's a problem that many rights holders are having. You know, you look at even the FIFAs of this world, and I think that they're trying to sell on uh, in a very similar way to uh, how they do physical assets that say the FIFA World Cup and so on. But as, as Craig said, you, you've got to be very authentic and uh, and treat it differently. Yeah, I think um, another point that's quite interesting is that, you know, people that come from a sports background kind of only envisage game or esports as being sort of sports, but their gamified version rather than rather than um, 
maybe video games more generally. So for example, people immediately think of FIFA or in the case of the IOC, you know, they've got, they've, they've introduced esports, but generally it's sort of virtual rowing or virtual cycling rather than, rather than sort of League of Legends or these strategy games that probably seem more distant from, from what we associate with sport being in the, in the sports industry. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks so much for listening and thanks again to Craig. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to catching up with you again soon when we're joined on the podcast by Pete Murray, CEO of the Professional Fighters League. To be notified as soon as the episode drops, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can also follow us on social media at Sports Pundit HQ.